Hey there, everyone. Welcome to the Ready for the Draft podcast. I'm your host, Greg Schutz. This is part two of episode seven of the 2021 podcast series, breaking down the draft eligible prospects, getting you ready for the NFL draft, which is set to begin April 2021. Now, part one of episode seven was dedicated to the FCS players, the lower level guys that really aren't getting a chance to play in 2020. We know that Trey Lance had the one game against Central Arkansas. He and Dylan Radins really looked at as potential first-round picks there for North Dakota State. But Spencer Brown, the offensive tackle out of uh, Northern uh, Iowa, I think he has a great shot at being drafted in the first two to three rounds. I think he will hear his name called on day two. But I think there are about 14 players in all uh, that we covered And I think they all have a legitimate shot at hearing their names called at some point during those three days of the draft. So part two will actually be spent on taking a look at weeks six and seven. So we've got a lot of games to cover, a lot of players that I was keeping an eye on during those two two weeks. Uh, We've already broken down week eight and what to look for there. So if you haven't already heard that, tune in to part one of uh, episode seven. And so... Part two, like I said, there's a lot to cover, so let's just go ahead and jump right into things. And we're going to go ahead and go position by position this time, uh, changing up the, the format just a little bit rather than going game by game, uh, just to really make sure that we cover each and every one of the players that really stood out to me over the course of the last couple of weeks. And I think when you start with that, and we're talking about the quarterback position, obviously you have to talk about Trevor Lawrence, you know, the big 6'6", 220-pound junior who is going to be the number one overall pick regardless of who it is that's drafting at the top of the draft whether it's the the new york jets the washington uh, football team or even the uh you know the the jacksonville jaguars whoever ends up at the top they're taking trevor lawrence number one overall and look you know uh, against miami you know he went 20 29 of 41 292 yards three touchdowns and you know and then he follows that up against georgia tech throwing for over 400 yards and five touchdowns. Those five touchdowns were in the first half. And everything that you wanted to see in the quarterback, out of a quarterback, you saw with Trevor Lawrence. You saw the touch, his ability to to drop the football in over the shoulder of the receiver, down the football field. His ability with the timing, that back back foot hits on a three-step drop, and that football's out. He throws his receivers open, especially on the crossing routes. But... The eye discipline, his ability to look off safeties and uh, wait for his receivers to to really break open and break free, and then he's cutting loose with the football. I thought against Georgia Tech, uh, he and Amari Rogers were really clicking and firing on all cylinders. And uh, you know, Amari Rogers in that game, six receptions, 161 yards, and a couple of scores. You know, when you have a guy like Amari Rogers, who's a tremendous route runner. You know, I think he's quicker than he is fast, but a guy that was still able to get vertical there against the Yellow Jacket defense, and it was someone to where, you know, Trevor Lawrence was really the anticipation, throwing him open, and really making sure that before he even got out of his break, you know, that ball was was out and was going to be putting it on a man and allowing him to cut up the field, not really having to think, able to just catch the ball and continue to to make that play. Um, you know, again with the eye discipline being able to look off the safety to hold guys in their place before going uh, you know the opposite field and and making the making those throws the ability to throw to the wide side of the field from the near hash on a line you know his ability to take take the the speed off though at the same time you know he's got that velocity he's able to throw fit the ball into any tight window 
But at the same time, in zone coverage, if he wants to drop the football into to his receiver, especially on a back shoulder throw, he's going to do that. He's going to allow that receiver to adjust to the football. The ball placement, absolutely phenomenal. Yes, he did finally throw an interception. Um, you know, after 300, over 300, I, I want to say 367 uh, passes without an interception before he finally threw one. So that's over a year's worth of, of touched, or uh, I'm sorry, of passes, pass attempts before he finally threw his first pick. And uh, it was Zamari Walton. You know, there's the, there's the trivia question for you. Uh, it was actually Zamari Walton who ended up picking off the pass. And uh, you know, that was, you know, the thing with Trevor Lawrence, rarely do you ever see him forcing the football. I think that's one of the things that is tremendous. Um, you know, and the body control with this guy too. He was rolling to his left, rolling out, and the ability to flip his hips in a hurry, get the shoulder square to the target, and then throw with velocity, moving on the run. A throw that's really hard for, for a right-handed quarterback. I thought it was phenomenal. Um, but I'll tell you what, the, the quarterback who's really rising up draft boards for me is Zach Wilson. Took on Houston uh, on, on Friday the 16th, uh, 25 uh, of 35, 284 yards, four touchdowns. And, you know, this this is a guy, when you look at accuracy, you look at the ability to th- throw re- receivers open, Zach Wilson is about as good as any quarterback in the country. 81.2% completion percentage heading into that game, which was leading the FBS. Um, you know, the, the arm strength, his ability to throw you know, to the wide side of the field, on display, uh, able to hit the receivers in stride, um, you know, just making a lot of throws that you don't see a lot of quarterbacks make. And, and I think when you watch uh, any of the broadcasts, they talk about what a student of the game he is. You know, before that game against Houston, they were talking about on the broadcast how uh, how Zach Wilson actually watched game film with his dad the day of. He studies all of these different quarterbacks. You know, I think what was on display was his ability to to alter that arm angle depending on the situation so he's able to to kind of throw a side arm able to drop his arm all the way down to the side had this little flick to the running back that allowed the running back to ultimately pick up some yardage um and you know when he's in rhythm he is absolutely deadly very very good athlete as well 6'3 210 pound junior Here's the thing with, with Zach Wilson, because he's a junior and because you have Trevor Lawrence and Trey Lance and Justin Fields at the top of the draft, there's a good chance that Zach, Zach Wilson could end up coming back. Look, his top receivers, both Gunnar Romney and Dax Milne, they're both juniors as well. His left tackle, Brady, Brady Christensen, also a junior. So there's a great chance that you could see Zach Wilson come back and try to do really do something special there for Kalani Sataki. You know, BYU, they, they tried to kind of do a murderer's row, if you will, in terms of their, their schedule. And frankly, because of COVID-19, you really haven't gotten to do that. You know, they had to really kind of piecemeal their, their schedule together. And you've seen Zach Wilson really ball out. But I, I think there are going to be a lot of naysayers, a lot of people that are saying, look, he's playing against inferior competition. Let him get in there against a the power five school and really see what happens. Um, but I'll, I'll tell you this. You know, he's, he's been about as, as advertised as can be. You know, I've gotten to watch about three or four games now of his. And, you know, Zach Wilson, um, I remember watching him against USC when, when the, the Cougars beat the Trojans uh, a season ago. This was a kid who, had, you know, he was a gamer. You know, the, the moxie and everything made some, some bad decisions at times. But, man, he brought BYU back and ultimately beat the Trojans and Keaton Slovis. 
Um, and so he's a guy that, to me, I, I think he can end up moving his way into the first round uh, consideration for sure. And then if he decides that he wants to come back, challenge Sam Howell, Keaton Slovis, and, and company uh, for that number one quarterback spot in the in the 2022 draft, it, it's absolutely possible. Uh, now you look at Kyle Trask out of out of Florida uh, against A and M. You know he, he threw for 312 yards and four touchdowns. But I, you know, he, this was a thing. You know, Kyle Trask was absolutely number four quarterback, no questions asked. Um, but you you saw some of the the ball placement issues. You know, there was a slant on third and 14, had to put the ball behind Kyle Pitts. You know, the catch radius of of the the large tight end ended up bailing him out. Uh, forced the ball on a 34-yard post with the cornerback and the safety in the area when he actually had Kadarius Tony on a, on an in cut. That was a near interception. Um, you know, rolling rolling to the right, tried to set his feet and throw back to the left. Really lacked the arm strength to get it back to Pitts. Underthrew him. Um, you know, on a, on an interception, didn't step into his throw after sliding to his left to avoid the pressure. Threw the ball down the field. Easy interception by the safety, Le- uh, Leon O'Neill. But you know, you, you saw some of the patience with him. You saw his ability to backpedal away from the pressure and, and ultimately throw. You know, waiting for Kadarius Tony to come free, coming a, a, across the end zone, and, and delivered a strike. But you know, people are talking about the arm strength and some of those issues. And I think you're starting to see that. You're starting to, as teams start putting more and more pressure on Kyle Trask, you're going to see that arm strength really start. You know, the question that arm strength. On on the flip side, Kellen Mond. In that same game, he was 25 of 35 for 338 yards, three touchdowns. AM ultimately won that game uh, on, a, on a last second field goal there by, by Seth, Seth Small, the, the kicker. And, uh, you know, they, they ended up winning 41 38 in that game. And, and I'll tell you, this was probably the best game that I've seen Kellen Mond play. You know, you saw a couple of questionable decision making. Uh, questionable throws, but you saw him on time, in rhythm. You, you saw the the ability to the arm strength, the ability to throw to the wide side, the ability to to push the football down the downfield, some accuracy outside the numbers, which is where he really struggles. And I think there's still some con, you know cons, uh, some issues with consistency there. But Kellamon, clearly that was his best game. And then uh, you know going in against Mississippi State a week later, uh, this was a game where I think he struggled a lot more. Um, just you know, completed 13 passes out of 23 attempts, 139 yards, and uh, and two touchdowns with an interception. And, and this was a game again, not his finest uh, by any means. And he's one of those guys. Look, you know, week in and week out, um, he, he's gonna have you know put put on some stellar some some stellar tape. Um, but he just he lacks that consistency. You know, I think he plays to the level of of his competition at times. Um, you know, there was a, a throw. He had a receiver, just as a perfect example, had a receiver that, you know, on a comeback, coming right back down the stem, right at him, and uh, ends up throwing the football, you know, one hops it. You know, throwing the football low and short to the receiver, um, but making those throws and, and hitting the guys on, on back shoulder throws up the sideline, you know, that was one of the things that you saw with velocity, um, you know, putting the ball on the receiver, um, hitting him in stride, putting the ball away from the defenders. You know, those were some of the things that you saw out of Kellen Mond. It's just, he's so inconsistent that that's the thing that really worries me. There are some, you know, a lot of people talk about, well, production versus traits. And I think in terms of traits, he's one of those quarterbacks that has, you know, traits that just jump off the charts. But, you know, 
you also have to look at some of that production. You have to really question at times, you know, whether or not this is going to be a guy. Is he going to be able to put everything together? And right now, I think the jury's out on on him. You know, I thought Brock Purdy against Texas Tech, you know, threw for over 300 yards and a couple of scores in a win over the the Red Raiders. Um, you know, look, he's only six one, had some batted balls, but this is a guy. Look, he plays at his best when when the, the play breaks down. His ability to manipulate the pocket while keeping his eyes down the field, um, you know, throwing with accuracy. You know, the biggest thing for him that gets him into trouble is he trusts his receivers a little bit too much. And I think that was one of the things that you saw at the beginning of the year. He didn't have that chemistry with some of his bigger receivers, um, but the tight ends. He's got three tight ends, uh, you know, in Charlie Kohler, uh, Chase Allen, and uh, Dylan Sainer, all 6'6", 6'7". He trusts them to be able to go up and, and attack the football in the air. And that sometimes will get him into trouble because... Just throwing the football up, that could be dangerous at times, but you know, he, he knows what he's got with his receivers. And uh, you know, I, I'm just hoping that he can get a receiver that uh, on the outside that he can trust because right now, you know, he's just not really having that uh, with, with any consistency. Um, and look, Iowa State, you know, we haven't gotten to the running backs yet, but Brees Hall, next year's draft, we'll be talking a lot about Brees Hall. The contact balance, this is a guy who put on 15 pounds of muscle, runs with a lot more power now to go along with the explosiveness. Keep an eye out for Brees Hall in the 2022 draft. Uh, Sam Ellinger going up against OU. Um, look, four overtimes, went 30 of 53, 287 yards, two touchdowns, an interception, 23 carries, 112 yards, and four touchdowns. Accuracy is, you know, look, you know, he, he struggles with his accuracy, you know, and makes some some questionable questionable plays. I think that last throw, when you had a guy wide open, um, you know, on a corner, and he underthrows his receiver, I'm sorry, he overthrows the receiver, and ultimately uh, Trey Brown comes up with the interception to end up sealing the victory for the Sooners. He is a gamer, he's gritty, he's athletic. I look at him, I'm like, you know what, you could put in a package like a Taysom Hill type, you know, because his ability to run the football so well, um, you know, if he's got decent hands, then I could see him absolutely fitting into a Taysom Hill type of role. But as a full-time quarterback, it's just not there. He's, he's a good college quarterback because the schemes can kind of cover up a lot of his, uh, you know, a, a lot of his shortcomings. But next level, that's just not going to happen. Uh, you know, two other quarterbacks to talk about. Shane Bouchelle uh, going in against Tulane. Uh, you know, 384 yards and a couple of scores, leading them to victory over uh, over the Green Wave. And you know, I, I think with Shane Bouchelle, you know, the arm strength isn't isn't necessarily there, but running that spread offense, you know, he's one of those intriguing quarterbacks that could end up finding himself drafted late on day three just because uh, you know his ability to kind of throw the football all over the field uh, you know a sunny Dykes receiver a quarterback so you know he's one to keep an eye out for Brady white uh, of Memphis you know look you know against UCF Memphis ends up with the victory in that game uh, 30 of uh, 34 of 50 for 466 and six touchdowns you know, this is a game where you know Dylan Gabriel throws for 600 yards and loses. Uh, this is just the football flying all over the field. I thought Brady White definitely helped himself there, uh, you know, with with Memphis. And on the flip side, KJ Costello against AM ended up getting himself pulled in this game. Just all the interceptions, you know, double-digit interceptions, you know, leading the country. 
Uh, Decision-making is questionable. Uh, you know, the arm strength, you, you question that at times as well. Uh, you know, KJ Costello, I think in terms of draft stock, after that first week against LSU where it went through the roof, you know, you're talking about stock trending downward. It's about crash at this point. Um, so you, you want to see, you know, KJ Costello is probably going to be a guy that's going to look at coming back to uh, to Starkville for one more season. Uh, you know, I think that has to happen. Now, transitioning to the running backs, uh, Travis Etienne, Najee Harris, both on display um, in in both weeks. Etienne, uh, 17 carries, 149 yards, two touchdowns, along with eight receptions for 73 yards in the win over Miami. And look, you know, he follows that up, just 44 yards and a touchdown, had a fumble against Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech really bottling up the run game. Um, but I, I think it was against Miami that you saw the, the contact balance, which really speaks to that leg strength. You know, this is somebody who, who's not just a speed demon anymore. He can run between the tackles, runs with power. And then the hands, eight receptions, able to run a wheel route, catch the football in stride, make some plays in the open field. He's explosive. He's dynamic. Did struggle a little bit with pass protection, though. You know, ended up whiffing on a, on a block. And uh, Quest Jackson there, the linebacker for Georgia, ended up getting in. I'm sorry, Georgia Tech got in there, sacked Trevor Lawrence. Uh, on the flip side, Najee Harris, I thought, you know, held up really well in pass pro, both against Ole Miss and Georgia. Um, but look, man, this guy's been a beast. He's he's knocking on the door with Travis Etienne. I have Etienne right now as my number one running back. But I, I think Najee Harris, what he's been doing, uh, you know, the 6'2", 230-pounder, um, you know, he's, he's probably the most complete back and it probably should be the number one back in this draft. Um, especially you look at what Derrick Henry's doing right now for, for Tennessee. Um, you know, I think Najee Harris has a great chance to find himself drafted in round number one. Uh, just a couple of years removed from another Bama running back and Josh Jacobs also getting drafted by by the Raiders in the first round. But Najee Harris, look, against Ole Miss, 23 carries, 206 yards, five touchdowns. Uh, to go along with three catches for 42 yards. Follows that up against Georgia with 31 carries, 152 yards, and three touchdowns. Uh, and, and look, you know, he runs with power. You know, this is a guy who loves to, to go airborne and hurdle guys. Uh, gets on the outside. Uh, the lateral quickness is there, but I think the patience running behind his blockers and then the vision, the ability to see the cutback lanes, put his foot in the ground, get north and south in a hurry. He's not somebody that you really want to have spending a lot of time moving laterally, moving east to west, but he's he's got those jump cut ability to then explode north and south. And, you know, he doesn't really you know lose speed. You know, I think that's the thing that you really see with Travis Etienne as well. These are guys that don't lose speed when they're making those, those cuts up the field. Um, you know, so Najee Harris, I think, has definitely helped himself over the course of the last couple of weeks. Uh, Khalil Herbert has actually been, you know, one of the top, if not the top, running back in all of FBS, the, the 5'9", 212-pounder uh, out of Virginia Tech. You know, he started his career at Kansas, and, uh, you know, he's done nothing but, uh, you know, have 100-yard days there for the Hokies. Uh, against North Carolina, another, another day, you know, 11 carries, 138 yards, two scores, runs with power. That's one of the things that I love about him. He runs behind his pads um, and delivers a blow. You know, that's the thing that, that you see from him is he's got a burst. He's not going to be a speed demon. He's not going to be like Travis Etienne and run away from you, but he'll, he'll deliver some contact. He's going to uh, run you over a little bit. 
And, uh, you know, I want to see him catch the football out of the backfield a little bit more. I think that's what's going to kind of hurt his draft stock. But uh, I think Khalil Herbert uh, has definitely popped in on, on NFL radars for sure. And then Michael Carter, uh, you know, in that same game against the Hokies, uh, 17 carries, 214 yards and two scores. You know, this is a guy who... The, the lateral quickness is absolutely there. And, and I think a lot of people talk, look at UNC and they talk about Michael Carter and, and Javante Williams potentially being uh, the Tar Heels version of Thunder and Lightning, like Reggie Bush and Lendale White. You know, I wouldn't go quite that far with it, but Michael Carter does make some nice plays in the open field, has excellent hands as well. He's an underrated uh, underrated running back. He's 5'9", 190 pounds. Um a guy who I think plays bigger than than his actual measurements uh, w- would tell you. Uh, Elijah Mitchell, uh, you know, in, in Louisiana, they go down to the Chanticleers of Coastal Carolina, ranked number 25 in the country now. I think you know if you're a team, I, I mentioned it on the last pa- podcast. If you're a team that's looking for a head coach, look no further than Jamie Chadwell. What he's done uh, with that program in just four years at the FBS level. He, he's that, that coach that's really on the rise. And, uh, you know, Elijah Mitchell in that game, nine carries, 39 yards, and a couple of scores. And uh, you know, he's just, you know, with, with Elijah Mitchell, he's a guy that I, I think is patient. I think he, he runs uh, with purpose. He runs with some attitude. And I, I think that's one of the things that I really appreciate about him. 35 career touchdowns, um, you know, and... He's somebody who, you know, he battled some COVID restrictions and, uh, you know, I think he's really starting to kind of come into his own a little bit. Uh, 5'10", 218 pounds, definitely has the speed off the edge, a guy who can run with power and speed. Flip side, you have Trey Regis, really a one cut and go type of a guy. He's going to get north and south in a hurry, 10 carries, 73 yards in that game. Um, Flip side, you have C.J. Marable. Um, you know, for for Coastal Carolina, had 17 carries for 73 yards and a score in in, uh, in that win, and a, a guy who, you know, he's got some suddenness to him. Um, I think he's a lot quicker than he is fast. You know, I think the lateral agility is there. Showcases some decent hands as well. He's one of those intriguing prospects. May not get drafted. Might be a um, an undrafted free agent who ends up making a roster and ends up being productive, kind of as one of those change of pace backs. Now, the one running back that uh, really isn't going to show up on any stat sheet, but you know, if a team's looking for a fullback and you see some of those guys that are still out there, you know, like Andy Janovich and, and, and company, um, Adam Prentice, you know, he's six foot, 245, uh, the, the senior Colorado State transfer into South Carolina. Look, he was the lead, lead blocker on a number of occasions for, for Kevin Harris. Um, you know, actually had a reception, got out and ran some people over uh, on, on a 10-yard reception as well. He's a guy who I think could end up making an NFL roster just because, man, he's he's just so efficient as that fullback. You know, he, he's a great lead blocker, a guy who's going to locate that that linebacker and uh, is going to put him, uh, really bury him, you know, and, and really drive him down the field and really open up a nice lane for, for his running backs. And that was really on display there for, for Kevin Harris. At the receiver position, look, you know, Jalen Waddell is a special, special receiver. You know, against Ole Miss, eight, uh, I'm sorry, six receptions, 120 yards. And then against Georgia, follows that up with six catches, 161 yards, and a touchdown as well. You know, this is a guy who is showcasing tremendous speed. Is he faster than, than Henry Ruggs? You know, he may actually be a little bit more sudden, I think, than Henry Ruggs is. Henry might actually have, you know, better uh, top end speed. 
but uh, I, I don't think you know it, in terms of the acceleration, Jalen Waddle you know gets to top end uh, much quicker than I think there's anybody in college football today. Um, you know, but the thing with Jalen Waddle, he, he he he's very sudden with his route running. I think you know the the ability to go up and, and attack the football in the air. That's one of the things that you see. You see a lot of uh, crossing routes, deep overs, and when those when that football comes in from Mac Jones, he's attacking that football in the air. Uh, you know, and then I think his running mate Devontae Smith. Look, you know, Jalen Waddle can end up being number one uh, when it's all said and done. He and Jamar Chase battling it out, but I think Devontae Smith is right there as well. You know, 13 catches, 164 yards, and it's in a score against. Uh, the Ole Miss Rebels, and then against the Bulldogs, uh, follows it up. Another double-digit reception, Dave, 167 yards, two scores as well. And the thing with Devontae Smith is he's not going to be the most explosive receiver. He's not going to be the most powerful receiver, but he's so smooth. Smooth with his route running. You know, the, the ability when he you know runs a, a comeback or a curl, coming down that stem, especially on those curls, he's going to come right down the stem, right back at the quarterback. He attacks the football in the air, plucks it out of the air with his hands, um, you know, the savvy route runner, his ability, the body control. Devontae Smith, I, I, I think the, the flashy guys, the, the Jamar Chase and the Jalen Waddles, they're a little bit more flashy, and I think those are the guys that will end up going higher in the draft. But I wouldn't be surprised if Devontae Smith, when it's all said and done, is going to be the top rookie coming out. I think you look at A.J. Brown, and a lot of people were talking about A.J. Brown not necessarily being the most explosive receiver when he was drafted by Tennessee when you looked at him, he was the receiver that was making the biggest impact in that rookie class. And I think Devontae Smith can play that same type of role, although I think Devontae Smith isn't getting out of the first round like A.J. Brown ultimately ended up falling to round number two. Um, Kadarius Toney, I think he's about the you know the receiver that is helping himself the most, really coming into his own as a receiver. You know, he's always been one of those gadget play type of guys that's get the ball in his hands and just let him do his thing. But he's a much more polished route runner and uh, just you know understanding more of the nuances of the position. Um, you know, uses his hands well. You know, plucking the ball out of the air. Uh, seven catches, 92 yards, and a score there against Texas A&M. Uh, Kadarius Tony, he's moved into my top 10 in terms of the receivers because I firmly believe he's a guy that's just con- going to continue to get better there at the receiver position. Uh, Tamori and Terry out of uh, Florida State, um, you know, against Notre Dame, had a big game, nine catches, 144 yards, and a score. Showed he could be a deep threat. Showed the ability to track the football, uh, make some catches over his shoulder, but uh, ultimately. Had a, I want to say it was a, oh, you know, had it, had it, I think it was a meniscus tear there in his, in his knee that he had to have treated. So he's out for a couple of games. So he missed uh, Florida State's upset win there against uh, North Carolina. Uh, so hopefully he'll get better soon. I think Tamori and Terry, though he's only a junior, I anticipate he'll come out into the draft. You know, really a large catch radius. He's one of those guys who's kind of up and down right now. Consistency is going to be the name of, of the game for him when he comes back healthy. Tutu uh, Atwell got to go up against Notre Dame. Didn't really get to showcase a lot of that speed. I think, uh, you know, this was a game, look, you know, Notre Dame only won, you know, 12 to 7. Uh, Malik Cunningham struggled mightily in this game. I think that was one of the things I think, um, you know, some of his deficiencies were really exposed. He really struggled seeing the entire field, uh, was pressured quite a bit as well. That offensive line, um, you know, really was was getting attacked there by, by, by Notre Dame. And uh, you know, Tutu Atwell, though, very explosive. 
uh, a guy who can play outside, you know, probably going to be more of a slot receiver, uh, as is uh, Elijah Moore. You know, against Bama, 11 catches, 143 yards, a guy that could get vertical on you if you needed to, a guy who's going to act, you know, attack the middle of the field, very sudden, very polished route runner. He and Amari Rodgers, uh, you know, I mentioned the six catches, 161 yards and two touchdowns. Those two guys and then Shai Smith out of Auburn, I'm sorry, out of South Carolina. Against Auburn, eight catches, 76 yards and a score. Uh, you know, this is a guy had a tremendous catch Goes up with one hand, tips it to himself, ends up securing the football as he goes to the ground. Um, but it's the route running ability, the, the ability to get open very sudden and then make plays. Uh, I think all three of these guys, you know, if a team's looking for a slot receiver, you know, third, fourth guy, possibly even a second option, uh, you know, in the case of Elijah Moore, um, I, I think you, you can end up bringing these guys in and they can end up making an impact for an NFL franchise. Uh, Jalen Robinson, only a redshirt sophomore. Uh, the, the transfer out of OU there at UCF, the, the, the day that he had against Memphis, 10 catches, 173 yards, and two scores. Even when Memphis was up, you just had this feeling that he and that Robinson and Dylan Gabriel were going to will their way back to a victory there against, uh, against the Tigers, uh, which ultimately it, it didn't end up happening. But he's so explosive. And you see him with the double moves, his ability to set the receipt, set the corner up, and then get vertical. You know, especially on his on his out and ups. Um, you you see that the post corners uh, just juking guys out of their shoes, and uh, the, the explosiveness. He's just he's a downfield receiver, and uh, you know, with all the receivers in this year's draft class, he'll probably come back for one more season. Especially considering Dylan Gabriel is a, a true sophomore. Um, they could really be a dynamic duo put together, you know, some really nice film for them. So I think Jalen Robinson's probably going to come back, but, um, you know, it would be really intriguing to see where, uh, you know, I think he'll be a day two pick if he comes out even in this draft. Uh, Jonathan Adams, a big 6'3 uh, receiver there, you know, against Georgia State, 15 catches, 177 yards, two scores. You know, this is a big physical receiver, uh, a guy who knows how to use his body, attacks the football in the air, wins the 50-50 balls. You know, he can separate a little bit down the field. That's why I, I actually am higher on Jonathan Adams than I am Seth Williams. I thought Seth Williams, you know, against Arkansas, three catches for, for 70 yards, but against South Carolina, had just one play down the field, this post play against J.C. Horn um, for about 40 yards. He was able to high point the football over, uh, over Horn, but uh, he really wasn't able to separate much from JC. Uh, and really, I think he's kind of a one-trick pony. He's a guy that's going to attack a lot of the 50-50 balls. You know, kind of reminds me a little bit of, of J.J. Arstega-Whiteside there at, at Stanford. I think Jonathan Adams, on the other hand, you know, this is a guy who, who's big and physical um, and can also separate a little bit. And I think that's really going to be the, the, the difference for some of these bigger receivers. Can they separate? About Josh Palmer. Out of ten, uh, Tennessee, the 6'2", 215-pounder uh, against Georgia. Four receptions, 71 yards, a couple of scores. An ability to separate a little bit from Tyson Campbell. Tyson Campbell you know, is a, a legit pro prospect at the cornerback position, a press corner. Um, and I thought that Josh Palmer exposed him a little bit with his ability to get that release off the line and uh, you know, ability to fight through the jam as well, but then separate and bend away from the corner and make some catches in, in the end zone. Uh, Josh Palmer, really an intriguing day three pick. Um, and really the guy that's that's running the show there at the receiver position for Tennessee now that Marquez uh, Callaway and uh, you know Jawan Jennings are gone. 
And then we, everyone talks about Deami Brown and Daz Newsom there at, at UNC, rightfully so, but Bo Corrales deserves a little bit of attention as well. 6'3", 215 pounds as well, uh, four catches, 141 yards, and a touchdown there against Fresno, I'm sorry, against Florida State. I see FSU for some reason, I always think Fresno State. Um, but uh, you know, Bo Corrales, you know, showcased some some speed that I don't think really people were really expecting to see out of him. You know, he was able to separate down the football field on a 40-yard gain. Um, he's somebody I think everyone was expecting just to be a possession type of a, of a receiver, but he was really able to stretch the football in that game. Um, so I think he's an intriguing day three pick as well. Uh, look, Kyle Pitts against Texas A&M, five catches, 47 yards, and a score, showcasing that that uh, ability that, that the catch radius. You know, especially with some of those poorly thrown balls by Kyle Trask, still able to pluck the football. You know, when he's coming on a slant, the ball's on his hip. He's able to catch it with his hands and turn up the field and not really miss a beat. Now, this is a guy on a six-yard touchdown, elevated over two defensive backs. You know, really doesn't matter what's going to happen, where he's going to go. You know, who's covering him. He's really a mismatch nightmare. Um, and look, you know, even on a on a on a drag, the ball was thrown high. He tips the ball to himself. The hand-eye coordination, the concentration, the body control. Kyle Pitts has everything. You know, in terms of all of that. You know, Charlie Kolar, out of uh, Iowa State against Texas Tech. Uh, you know, he's a guy who has tremendous size. Uh, but he runs pretty well. He plays like a basketball player out there on the field. Um, you know, was a, a high school teammate of uh, Trey Young uh, of the Atlanta. I'm sorry, of the Atlanta Hawks. Um, there at Norman North, and, and you see the the basketball skills out there on the on the field. You know, able to box guys out and really attack the football like you are attacking a rebound. And, and that's really how I, I see him playing. I thought Miller, Miller Forrestall. Um, is really coming on as a receiver. They're a reliable option for Mac Jones for Bama. Uh, Kenny Yaboa against Alabama. I've been talking about Kenny Yaboa at the beginning of the season, and uh, he's an intriguing guy. Look, I, I think you know he's definitely helped himself. I said that Lane Kiffin loves his tight ends, and now the Kenny Yaboa, look, he was a transfer from Temple, and I think now he's really starting to fit in, feel comfortable, had a 52-yard catch. He was able to get, you know, get away from the safety and took off down the field for a score. I like Kenny Yaboa. Uh, you know, I think he's a guy that's just going to continue to get better and better there for Lane Kiffin. And one other guy to, to make mention of is Kyler Granson of SMU. Uh, 6'3", 240, an undersized tight end, uh, but four catches, 61 yards. Show some nice speed there against Tulane. Um, offensive tackles, you know, Samuel Cosme uh, of Texas, you know, going up against OU. Uh, you know, I, I thought that he really is hasn't done anything to dissuade me from him being the the number two tackle. But I'll tell you what, Liam Eichenberg against Florida State, um, you know, and, and Louisville really impressed me. This is a guy who, you know, he's he's a, a natural knee bender, a guy who, you know, you see a lot of guys that want to bend at the waist, they're lunging, they're leaning. And Liam Eikenberg does not do that. He, he's, not only is he a knee bender, keeps that chest up, he, and it allows him to move laterally. He's able to latch onto uh, the defensive end in front of him, gets those hands inside, and then is able to move laterally with this man. I'm a big fan of Liam Eikenberg. I'd like to see him, you know, in the running game, a little bit more power to his game. But he's one of those guys that I think is continuing to improve his draft stock, and he has a good chance to end up. Uh, being a first-round tackle, I think he's one of the top six tackles in this draft. 
Um, you know, and you look at a guy like Jackson Carmen. You know, I think against Miami uh, and, and Georgia Tech, you know, Jackson Carmen showcased the ability. You know, showed some decent lateral quickness. But I, I thought there were times, especially against Quincy Roche, where he was exposed you know, with some of the speed, the, the speed rush. You know, inconsistent hands a little bit at times. I think Jackson Carmen's probably going to end up being a right tackle at the next level, possibly even kick inside to guard uh, because he can be so powerful. He's so heavy-handed. Um, I'd love to see him play a guard at the uh, at the end of the day. Um, but a, a right tackle who I really thought has, has kind of stepped up is Carson Green out of uh, Texas A&M. Against Florida, did a really good job against Brent, uh, Brenton Cox. Brenton Cox, I think, was getting frustrated at times. You know, there was a, a spin move that he had back to the inside, and he really showed this nice power step to really wall him off and keep him in front of him. Uh, I think Carson Green definitely helped himself. And then uh, Brady Christensen out of BYU. Uh, this is a guy, you know, he, he wants to get over his toes a little bit too much. So when he's upright, and, you know, he has a really nice kick slide. When he is upright, I think you know getting those hands on, latching onto guys, able to showcase that ability to mirror a little bit. Um, I'm I'm a fan of, of Brady Christensen. He's only a junior, so I think he come back would probably behoove him to, to do that. Uh, just looking at the at the tackle class right now, um, I think Alex Leatherwood has showcased his ability to be a pass blocker at the offensive tackle position. He may end up being a tackle at the next level. Um, you know that that's really the the thing. I wasn't sure if the lateral agility against speed rushers, but he's been able to show better footwork this year than, than years past. You know, I thought against Georgia, Trey Smith and Cade Mays, um, they looked average. I thought they looked average to me. I thought Cade Mays in his first game back, you know, against his, his former team. Um, you know, I, I thought he, he was missing blocks. He was oversetting guys were shooting to the inside of him. He looked a step slow. I think he really still needs to get back into football shape. I thought for Trey Smith, um, you know, I thought that that Jordan Davis and, and uh, Devontae Wyatt were pushing him around a little bit. Um, so he's somebody who I think needs to continue to put out some better game film going forward. I thought Aaron Banks against Louisville looked great. You know, a big physical guy was able to get out and pull a little bit, be a lead blocker, but a guy who can be punishing in the running game. Um, also able to kick out and play left tackle when Liam Eikenberg had, a, had an issue with his eye in uh in the game against Florida State. Uh, let's see, who else can we talk about? Shannon Herring, uh, the 6'7", 310-pounder there out of BYU going up against Houston. He's the guy who wanted to play way too upright. You know, not, you know, that's, it's not a good thing to play too upright when there's no knee bend. When you're standing straight up and that pad level gets too high and you're, you know, you, you don't have any effectiveness, you've lost all of your power. What you really want to see is getting that weight down Drop, you know, that wide base, dropping the butt, and, and really, you know, driving, you know, getting that leverage, and then you're able to drive into your man. And I think that's where he's lost a lot of that. And that's something that, you know, I think teams are going to really want to see if he can get that, drop that pad level. You know, he's he's somebody who I think is an intriguing prospect. I think he's athletic, uh, a guy who can play tackle and guard. But uh, if, if that pad level doesn't improve, I think, you know, that's something that's going to really hurt his draft stock. Uh, I thought Creed Humphrey against Texas, the center, looked solid, um, but, you know, not spectacular. I think Jarrett Patterson, though, 
out of floor out of Notre Dame against especially against Florida State I thought Jarrett Patterson showed you know off tremendous athleticism his ability to climb to the second level um, you know the wide base uh, quick hands I really like Jarrett Patterson um, in this center class. And, and Landon, Landon Dickerson, I know that he has a lot, you know, the, the knee injuries. He's battled a ton of injuries in his career, you know, whether it's at Alabama or Florida State, but against Tennessee and Georgia. Um, and, you know, he, he's just a guy who I think is just continuing to get better as a football player. Plays with a little bit of a mean streak. Uh, need to reel him in a little bit at times. I think he gets a little bit out of control. When he's on, he can really be a, a, a lethal um, offensive, uh, you know, on the offensive side of the football at that center position. Now, if we flip to the defensive side of the ball, you know, edge rushers, we're really trying to find guys that are going to make some plays. Um, I thought Jalen Phillips against Clemson had the one sack. You know, this is a guy, you know, he attacks the hands. You know, and that's one of the things that you really like to see is, is, is you know, he'll, he'll chop at the hands. He'll use a club. He'll use a rip move. Uh, very stout at the point of attack against the run. Um, but I, I thought against Clemson, he struggled to really get off blocks. Uh, meanwhile, Quincy Roche, I thought he did a really solid job against Jackson Carmen. This was a guy who was able to convert speed to power. I thought you saw really nice hand usage. Quincy Roche, to me, over the last couple of weeks, really coming into his own um, and you know he's somebody that I've always questioned. Does he have enough size to play the defensive end position? And he's somebody who I think has definitely put on weight, um, much like Brian Burns did coming out of Florida State going to the Panthers. Um, I, I think Quincy Roche might be able to play with his hand in the dirt um, at the next level. Like I mentioned earlier, Brenton Cox, uh, four tackles, had three quarterback hurries there against uh, A&M. Struggled at times to get off uh, Carson. Carson Green's block when he moved over to the left side against Dan Moore. I thought he he was much uh, much more effective getting to the quarterback. Um, you know, Taron Jackson at, at a Coastal Carolina going up against Louisiana. Um, this was a I want to say it was a Wednesday game. Uh, had four tackles, a tackle for loss, quarterback hurry. You know, this is a guy who you know he's going to use a quick jab step, shot to the inside, hit the quarterback uh, Levi Lewis as he was trying to throw. Um, you know, a guy who just he's he's instinctive. He's 6'2", 260 pounds, a little bit you know undersized uh, for the defensive end position, but a guy who look you know over 20 sacks in his career, 32 tackles for loss. He's a guy that I think is going to end up being probably a fourth, fifth round pick, but a guy who's going to end up making a, not only making a roster, but I think he can make an impact as a rotational edge rusher. Uh, Patrick Johnson, another guy there, uh, the, the joker position there for Tulane against SMU, nearly had that upset against uh, the Mustangs. Uh, five tackles, a sack, a couple of tackles for loss. This is a guy who, you know, consistency, you want to see him continually uh, getting off the edge. Uh, when he is on, when he's coming off the edge as, as a stand-up rusher, you know the ability to quickly turn the corner, flip those hits, and flatten out and get to the quarterback. When he's able to get off those blocks, I think that's one of the things that you definitely see. You just don't see the consistency with him. Florida State, look, man, uh, you know Joshua Kando and, and Janarius Robinson. Uh, the length on these guys, you know, Kando is is just a, a mammoth dude, and. Uh, I thought against North Carolina, these guys both looked looked really solid. Kando 6'7", 265, and uh, you know Janarius Robinson 6'4", 258, and you know a couple of big dudes. Uh, I think 
Robinson's more of the finesse guy, a guy who's going to look to try to bend um, and, and turn the corner in a hurry, uses length to his advantage. Whereas Kendo, he doesn't care. You know, he'll, he'll show you know the ability to dip that inside shoulder, but you're going to see a lot of speed, the power out of him. You're going to see a lot you know more physicality out of him as well. Uh, ultimately, ended up with an interception. You know, ball came to him um, off of a tip, and you know 25 yard down the football field, showcased some nice athleticism there as well. Um, Denarius Robinson, look, three tackles, uh, all of them behind the line of scrimmage. Two of those were sacks. Uh, and, you know, I thought did an excellent job just dipping underneath the right tackle. You know, I think that's where he was really showing a nice job there. You know, that getting that pad level low, turning the corner. Um, he actually lost his balance on one of the plays, got back up and was able to get a hit on the quarterback. Uh, I love the effort. You know, Florida State, they're finally starting to click. It looks like, you know, Mike Norvell got that signature win in that, that victory there over UNC, 31-28. And I think that these uh, these linemen on the defense have definitely made a you know made an impact there for him, uh, for Mike Norvell. Um, defensive tackle, you know, since we're talking about Florida State, Marvin Wilson. Um, look, you know, the thing with Marvin Wilson, I think he he has really nice hands. I think that's one of the things that you can definitely say, um, you know, attacks the the offensive lineman's hands in a hurry. But I worry about the pad level. Pad level will get high at times. I worry about his conditioning um, because there are times where that motor runs hot and cold. Does he have a burst? You see the burst at times, but I think it works best. Really, you know, more of the the speed, the power. I think he'll, he'll show some quickness, uh, some short area quickness, but. You know, the, the thing with me with Marvin Wilson is the production and the potential. And, you know, I, I thought UNC was one of his best games. He actually had six tackles and, and a quarterback hurry. Um, showing some, some you know, the ability to, to, to be quick off the football. You know, can be explosive when he's playing with the proper leverage. That's really what my notes say here. And that's really the biggest thing that you have to watch out for with him. Um, you know, is are you going to get that consistent pad level out of him? And I think a lot of that comes down to conditioning. Um, I, I think the guy that's really starting to rise up draft boards is going to be Christian Barmore, number, big number 58 for uh, for Alabama. And against Georgia, had three tackles, a sack, a forced fumble, a couple of pass breakups. You know, this is a guy who he has the explosiveness, has power in his hands. He's very heavy-handed, but a guy who I think does a great job. He has a nice, uh, nice push-pull to, to ultimately dis, uh, disengage off of the blocker make some plays behind the line of scrimmage. I think Christian Barmore may end up being the number one defensive tackle when it's all said and done in this draft. Uh, I I like Jordan Davis, what he's been able to do there. Again, I thought he was really stout at the point of attack against uh, uh, Trey Smith, against uh, Cade Mays, and then going up against Bama at, at times. You know, this was a guy who just really couldn't be moved off off of his mark, and that's one of the things that I think you know you really look for in one of those uh, defensive linemen. Is he overly explosive? No. Is he going to be somebody who's going to be living in opposing backfields? No. But he's going to take up a lot of space, and uh, you know he's he's tremendously athletic for a guy who's six six, three hundred thirty pounds. Um, I like him probably as a as a fourth fifth rounder. Um, I think early day three right now. Uh, Tadero Slayton's another guy, you know, big physical dude, uh, has the power to drive his man almost all the way back into the quarterback off the ball. Um, power, power, power when you look at at, uh, at Tadero Slayton uh, for Florida. And, uh, you know, same, same for Forrest Merrill. 
you know, 6'1", 338, a little, you know, spark plug there. Uh, going up against Georgia State, had, had two tackles, a tackle for loss, forced fumble. And I think that's the thing that you really see with Forrest Merrill is not only is he stout at the point of attack, he's taking on multiple blockers, but if you give him the ability to, to get off of his block, he's able to use those hands, shooting into the backfield. The short area quickness for a guy that big um, is tremendous. And, and so I think all of these guys, probably in that early to mid day three range, and I'll give you a name to, to look out for as well, and that's Talon Humphrey. Now he's 6'5", about 300 pounds there for uh, for Louisiana. And against Coastal Carolina, this is a guy who was firing off the ball, using tremendous hand usage uh, to get off blocks and shoot, in, shoot the gap, get into the backfield, have five tackles and a half tackle for loss in that game. He's a guy that's really intriguing, and I want to continue to watch more game film. Uh, Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa. We're moving on to the linebackers. Uh, you know, against Fresno, uh, I'm sorry, I did it again. Against Florida State, five tackles, a couple of tackles for loss, and a quarterback hurry against Louisville, uh, five tackles, and another couple of tackles for loss. So in two games, you're talking about ten tackles, four tackles for loss, and a quarterback hurry. I look at Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, and, and he's the rover there for for Notre Dame but he's a guy who does a little bit of everything I think he can cover he's shown the ability to cover both tight ends and running backs out of the backfield uh, can drop into zone coverage and read the quarterback's eyes bends well coming off the edge rushing the quarterback and uh, the ability to play sideline to sideline against the run he's the guy to me that I think could end up being a top 20 pick I think people um, when you're looking at the linebacker position I think you have to really start that conversation with number six there for Notre Dame uh, I think Joseph Osai against OU, I thought he had a nice day um, there in the in the Red River rivalry, the Red River shootout, if you will. And uh, you know, six four, two hundred fifty three pounds. Um, this is a guy who just plays, you know, play, you know, plays with his hair on fire. He's relentless to the quarterback. The backside pressure just continues to come. Uh, you know, after the ball carrier chased down TJ Pledger fifteen yards down the field. Uh, you know, to, to drop the running back there. You see a dip and rip and then bending around the left tackle, got pressure on the quarterback early. Uh, he's a guy who I think you know has also shown that he can put his hand in the dirt, but I'd really love to see him drop into coverage and see if he can actually be an outside linebacker. That said, I think he's a nice edge rusher, a guy who might get his name called late day two, early day three right now. Uh, Dylan Moses didn't think he had the best game against Ole Miss. Um, against Georgia, had 10 tackles and a sack. You saw him be a lot more active, a lot more productive. I think he's still feeling his way back. You know, he missed last season. He's coming back. You know, you definitely see him leading the defense, making a lot of the pre-snap reads. He's the quarterback of that defense and the leader, unquestioned leader of that defense. But I think he's been a step slow with you know arriving at the ball carrier at times. Um, you know, so he's somebody to really keep an eye on. Can he improve his play? Because right now I think he's a day two pick. A lot of people were talking about him potentially sneaking into the first round. I just don't see that happening right now. Some people are down on Chaz Surratt uh, there for UNC. I thought against both uh, Virginia Tech and uh, Fresno State, you know, he was didn't really have a chance to make a ton of plays. But you see the instincts. You see his ability to make you know the quick reads, diagnose the plays, and he was right around the football on, on you know quite a few plays. You know, the, the thing with it is, is he's still new to the position, so I think that's where he's going to struggle a little bit. But this is the guy, if you're talking about traits, you know, he, he's a he's a quarterback. You know, he was a, a linebacker in a or I'm sorry, he's a quarterback in a linebacker's body. Ultimately, ended up switching the move to the linebacker position. 
still has that quarterback mind. And he's the guy that I think is going to just continue to get better and better. You know, and so I think he's a guy that I could see a team actually taking in round number two uh, just because his ability, uh, you know, in just a couple of years, what he's done there for, for the Tar Heels and just his ability to just continue to get better and better. You know, I, I've been critical of Amani Rice. You know, I thought he was somebody that um, you know wasn't always making plays there for Georgia. You know, a lot of people really liked you know liked his ability. Um, but I'll tell you what, against Tennessee and Alabama, this was the guy who was clearly um, you know one of the you know at least in the front seven was the top player there for Georgia. Against Tennessee, had eight tackles, a sack, a couple of tackles for loss. Um, the forced fumble and fumble recovery. You know, he he reaches in, rips the football out, and ends up. You know, taking that fumble back 20 yards. Um, you know, this is somebody, he, he's a guy who, look, he'll probably end up being a fourth rounder. I don't know that he's going to run all that fast, but you see the instincts, his ability to make some plays. Um, you know, and he, there was talk that he could come out after last year. I'm glad that he didn't because I think it's actually improved his draft stock a little bit. Um, you know, and then his teammate, Aziz Olajari, he's only a sophomore, but he's a redshirt sophomore. Uh, you know, so there's the, he does have the ability to come out if he wants to. Um, you know, I, I think there's a tremendous amount of speed there for Georgia. Not only Ojolari, uh, you also have Adam Anderson. Um, you know, Nicobe Dean got to the quarterback there against Bama. Um, you know, you can just sit there and keep naming guys. You know, Nolan Smith, Quay Walker, Trayvon Walker. Um, but I think when you look at his Ojolari, number 13, a guy who just, you know, he's, he's explosive coming off the edge. He bends really well, does a really good job stacking and shedding um, in the running game as well. Um, I'm a big fan of his. He's a guy that really knows what to do when he arri- you know, when he's around the football. Had a couple of forced fumbles there against Tennessee as well. Um, if you go to the cornerback position, nobody, I think, helped themselves better than J.C. Horn against Auburn. Four pass breakups, two interceptions on the day. This is a guy who was flat-out dominant against Seth, Seth Williams. Blanket coverage. Now, this is a guy who can do a little bit of everything. He was jamming him there at the line of scrimmage. Um, you know, even, you know, he would, even in off coverage, he want to get his hands on Seth Williams, even at two, four, five yards and trying to redirect the receiver. But then he would stay right on his hip. And even when he would come in and out of his, you know, out of his breaks, you saw no wasted movement. You saw the ability to drive on the football, get his hand in and make a play. And, you know, had a couple of athletic interceptions as well. Um, to me, I, I look at JC Horn and he's a guy that I've been talking about as one of those corners that could end up continuing to move up draft boards. And right now, I don't think there's a cornerback playing better. And that includes Patrick Sertan, who's at the top of everybody's draft board. Um, you know, I, I thought, you know, Sertan against Georgia, you know, he had a pass breakup in that game. But here's here's the thing with him. You know, I, I think in terms of the, the coverage, you know, I, I don't see him really, you know, he's in phase. You know, that's the thing that you definitely see, but you want to see a, a little bit more physicality out of him. You know, he's really another press cover, press corner. Um, but look, both of those guys, you're really kind of splitting hairs between the two of them. Those are guys that you can really leave out on an island. Tyson Campbell against Seth uh, Seth uh, Seth Williams did a great job uh, against Tennessee. Was exposed a little bit by uh, by Josh Palmer, and then I think Alabama really took advantage of that as well. Um, you know, I, I think that's really going to be the thing with Tyson Campbell is he's a he's a nice press cover corner, 
but you know, dealing with receivers with speed, that's where he struggled at times. Um, the flip side, though, Eric Stokes, um, this is he's he's a guy who's a legit four three guy, and at six foot, one hundred and eighty five pounds. I can see Eric Stokes potentially sneaking his way into round number one. He'll probably end up being a second rounder, but you know he's a guy that I think could challenge for a starting job at the NFL level uh, right away. Asante Samuel Jr. Um, look, you know this is a guy who is explosive. You know I think he plays like his dad. You know uh, just relentless in his his uh, his his coverability. You know this is a guy who you know in zone coverage does a great job reading the quarterback's eyes. I think he's in phase quite a bit uh, in man coverage as well. Attack the football. Look, he had three pass breakups against you know Notre Dame and, and UNC combined. I think he's a guy who, who right now is going to be a, a day two pick and he'll be a top 10 corner taken in the draft and a guy he'll probably end up being a you know either a slot nickel corner um, but a guy who I think is going to uh, be around a long time at the next level and then at the safety position look Bubba Bolden uh, against Clemson 10 tackles a, ta- uh, a forced fumble had two block kicks I think that's really the big thing that you took away with, with Bubba Bolden. This is a guy I think is instinctive, takes excellent angles. He wants to go for the big hit all the time. I mean, sometimes you just want to see him wrap up. Um, but his ability to also make plays on special teams is something that I think is going to turn heads. And then finally, Richard LeCount. You know, against Alabama, had the interception. You know, he's one of the better center fielders in uh, in this year's draft. When you think of center fielders, you think of Trevor uh, Trevon Merrig at a t- uh, TCU. You think of um, you know Andre Cisco uh, of Syracuse out for the year with the injury that he sustained before the game a couple of weeks ago has declared for the draft. And then uh, you know, re, even Reed Blankenship uh, out of Middle Tennessee. I saw someone was talking about him as one of their top um, center fielders. And I'm glad that people are starting to take notice of him. I, I'm a big fan of, of Reed Blankenship. But look, you know, right now my number one safety is Javon Holland. And, and I think Javon Holland, he's a guy that can play in the box. I think he can cover a little bit um, you know, as a potential as a, a nickel. Uh, if you needed him to, but I think you know, as a center fielder, a guy who has excellent excellent range, um, I think right now he's my number one corner. I'm I'm sorry, number one safety. Um, you know, followed by Merrick and, and Cisco, and, and I think Richard LeCount. He's in the top ten. He's probably going to be a guy that'll end up getting drafted on you know in the fourth or fifth round. But he's just a smart, intelligent player. You look at a guy like Jordan Fuller going to the Rams, and uh, you know was able to make some some plays there for the Rams. Uh, and and so I, I think Richard LeCount is a guy that can absolutely do that as well. Um, you know, he'll probably come off the board later than some people were expecting um, because you know I, I think the safety class there is some depth. There are a lot of guys in that draft class, and I think Richard LeCount, you know, he's he's gonna fly right there. You know, might be a third round pick, but I will also like I said, wouldn't be surprised if he falls to the fourth, even the fifth round when it's all said and done. So those are the guys that I took a look at. Those were the guys that really from what I was watching, the really wanted to key in on. And, uh, you know, we've got week eight coming up. We've got big 10 play. So really looking forward to watching Justin Fields, Chris Olave. Obviously they have Garrett Wilson as well, but Trey Sermon running the football there for, for Ohio state defensively. They've got the linebackers. They've got Baron, uh, Baron Browning. They've got Pete, uh, Pete Werner, and then obviously you know you've got uh, you know Sean Wade, the the cornerback who's come back, uh, opted back in. Uh, you know 
Minnesota's taking on on Michigan. So Minnesota, you've got the quarterback, you've got Tanner Morgan, and you've got uh, you know Rashad Bateman, and you've got the offensive lineman there for uh, for Minnesota. The tackles, Sam Schluter, Daniel Fa'alele. I think Sam Schluter is a guy who you know is should be on NFL radars. I think he's a guy that could end up being a swing tackle. Um, they get to go up against two of the best edge rushers in Aiden Hutchinson and Quiddy Pay. So that's going to be a lot of fun to watch. I think the linebackers, Cameron McGrone, is somebody to really keep an eye out for as well for uh, for Michigan, Penn State. They're taking on Indiana. I want to watch that game because I want I want to watch you know Jason Owe um, see what he could do there at the at the defensive end position. No Micah Parsons, uh, he's opted out, and then no Journey Brown. He's he has the medical condition and not really sure when he's going to return. And then Pat Fryermuth, you know I, I think really the big question right now because Kyle Pitts and uh, Brevin Jordan and Hunter Long have all really helped themselves. Uh, during the season, you really want to see what Pat Fryermuth can do. Everyone's talking about him, including myself, as being the most complete tight end in this year's draft. Now is going to be his chance to really prove that he's going to be that number one target there for for Sean Clifford, and uh, you know we'll see what happens there. Uh, you know, Rondale Moore is coming back to Purdue. We get to see him play. Um, you know, and I'll give you a name to watch out for for Iowa, who could potentially be sneaky good, and that's uh, the wide receiver Amir Smith Marset. What he did against USC with the speed, uh, you know, had a, a, a run for a touchdown, uh, receiving touchdown, kickoff return for a touchdown. This was a guy who was just making plays all over the field, so explosive. If he gets a chance in the open field, it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Uh, Mountain West also taking taken off as well, so you'll be able to watch some of those games. Then obviously you've got the SEC. Both OU and Oklahoma State are in action for the Big 12. So it's going to be a big week of football. Everyone's got to tune in. Uh, the Battle of North Carolina is going to be in, in full force. Uh, North Carolina State taking on UNC. Two ranked teams. Uh, they're in the state of North Carolina. That's going to be a lot of fun. So uh, make sure you tune in and watch, man. It's going to be a fun weekend. And uh, you know what we'll do is we'll break everything down uh, on next week's podcast. And uh, we'll get ready for, for the Pac-12 and the MAC uh, in a couple of weeks. Then we'll have everybody out there. And we'll really be able to get a good gauge on, on who's really, really stacking up. So I've got about 10 to 12 games that I'm going to try to get through before next week's podcast wish me luck um no but we should be able to get through those games and and get some good content together and uh you know we'll be able to break some players down talk about uh, some of the matchups who improved their stock who are guys flying under the radar who are some of the guys that might uh might have hurt themselves a little bit um so we'll go ahead and break all that stuff down but until then we're gonna go ahead and wrap things up call it a week and uh, like I said, we'll, we'll uh, be right back here at it again next week. So for readyforthedraft.com, this has been the Ready for the Draft podcast, part two of episode seven, now in the books. I've been your host, Greg Schutz. It's been a pleasure. Take care, everyone, and I am out of here. <laughs>